1: The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath.
0: You are listening to the ninth episode of the C.S. Lewis Podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. I'm Ruth Jackson, and over this first series, Alistair and I will be looking at some of Lewis's thoughts around significant topics, such as the meaning of life, stories, and suffering. You can find out more about the C.S. Lewis podcast by heading to cslewispodcast.com. C.S. Lewis is one of the most influential voices in modern Christianity. The 20th century British writer and lay theologian has profoundly impacted Christians around the world and brought many atheists and agnostics to faith in Jesus. One person whose faith was greatly encouraged by the writings of C.S. Lewis is Professor Alistair McGrath. Both men were raised in Northern Ireland, studied at Oxford University and went on to become professors there. They also both came to faith from atheism slightly later in life. Alistair has written numerous books on C.S. Lewis, including a seminal biography, C.S. Lewis, A Life which is published by Hodder. If you would like to get your hands on a free copy of this book, then we would love you to post about the C.S. Lewis podcast on social media. Use the hashtag C.S. Lewis podcast on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and include a link to our website, cslewispodcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. And obviously, the more you share about the podcast, the more likely you are to win one of Professor Alistair McGrath's books. On today's episode, we will be talking about Lewis's thoughts around hope and heaven. Welcome back, Alistair, final podcast of the series, and we are looking, I suppose in some ways it's related to what we were talking about in the previous uh, podcast, which was about suffering. This is, we're having a look at C.S. Lewis's view on hope and heaven. What what would C.S. Lewis have said that the Christian hope was? I
1: think Lewis would really want to make a very sharp distinction between being optimistic And having hope, being optimistic is saying, "Oh, I'm just going to hope things work out okay." You know, it's it's sort of um, like, "I hope it won't rain tomorrow." You know, it's in effect, it's not really hope at all. It's just, you know, let's just let's just hope the best will happen. But Lewis uses the word hope in a much stronger word—a sense of a positive expectation. This is something you can trust. This is something to look forward to, a sense of expectancy. So it's a very strong word for Lewis, and it does not mean I'm an optimistic person, so I always think like this. Uh, It's much more, you know, I'm realistic. But because of the way Christianity is structured, because of its core themes, because of who Christ is and what he's done, we can have hope and journey in hope through this life.
0: And I suppose heaven is very intertwined within that Christian hope. What did heaven look like for C.S. Lewis?
1: Well, heaven for C.S. Lewis was was the place that we are meant for, that in effect this is where we belong. And for him, it's really a place where... Our heart's desire is satisfied where we come to meet God, the one who we've been longing to meet all our lives is there. This is what all our deepest intuitions are pointing towards. This is journey's end for, for Lewis. Lewis doesn't really give very detailed descriptions of heaven. I mean, the end of the last battle in the Narnia series is perhaps one of the closest um, we come to a good description of what heaven is like. But his basic argument is that it is something that keeps us going. The hope of finally being with God is really something that energizes our lives here on earth. Did he
0: think it was a physical place?
1: As I read Lewis, um, that question seems to me to stay open. It's a place. It's a place where we will be and are meant to be. It's a place where God is. But Lewis, I don't think really helps us, if I'm put like this, place it on a map.
0: Do you think that C.S. Lewis's view of hope and of heaven were shaped by the suffering and the pain that he experienced?
1: I think if you're like Lewis, and have been through a lot of pain and suffering, the death of your mother in your childhood, the experience of being badly wounded in the First World War, then clearly that establishes a baseline, you know, and, and it means you you want to be in a place where death isn't going to happen anymore, where suffering isn't going to happen anymore. So there's a sense in which, you know, you are interested in questions about how suffering can be removed. And of course, many of Lewis's generation thought that this will happen Technologically, In fact, we will be in a place where you don't die anymore, you don't suffer anymore. But of course, technology failed to deliver those promises. So for Lewis, I think the question of whether there is a place in which there is no death and no suffering really was quite important. Although in this atheist phase, I think Lewis just suppressed those thoughts because he felt uncomfortable where they were taking him.
0: But that's not necessarily wish fulfillment, is it? Because I suppose an, an atheist might argue, or Lewis wanted there to be a heaven because then he would be reunited with his mother, reunited with joy. Um, but but for Lewis, it was it was a real place, it was a real hope. It wasn't just that wish wish fulfillment,
1: was it? No, Lewis was very very clear that this is not something that um, he'd invented to console himself. It was it was part an integral part. Of the Christian way of thinking. And because he believed that way of thinking as a whole to be right, he also thought that heaven was a very significant thing. But Lewis does make the point that actually atheists um, in Dutch, in their old wish fulfillment, they want to be autonomous. If there's a God, God interferes, God redirects. And so in one sense, atheism is about wish fulfillment. I want to be able to do what I do and nothing else, and therefore I don't want that to be a God.
0: And Lewis experienced lots of pain and suffering throughout his life. We've already spoken about that. But towards the end of his life, he also got really sick himself. How do you think he held on to that hope of heaven and the idea of heaven when he was really in the throes of, I suppose, despair from all the pain that he'd experienced, but also that physical sickness? How do you think he reconciled the idea of God and hope in heaven with the suffering that he was experiencing?
1: We have a lot of letters from Lewis's final few months of life, and he talks about his own forthcoming death because he knew he was dying, and he is quite positive about what is going to happen. He, in effect, is aware that he is going to die. He's quite clear that he has a very strong faith in God, and he does not fear this. But nevertheless it 's entering the unknown, and there are moving passages where he talks about how he visualizes death and resurrection, you know in terms of like a seed bursting up from the ground, things like that it 's very, very moving indeed, and what I notice is that Lewis tends to describe this using analogies and images. It's very much about a seed being put in the ground and growing. It's very much about being in a different place. It's not a rational, in a sense, a very, very abstract way of thinking about this. It's much more to do with images, which I think is Lewis's own way of thinking about this.
0: If he was uh, at a dying man's bedside, sort of in, in, in this man's last few hours, and C.S. Lewis had come to visit him, what do you think he'd say by way of hopeful words or I mean what would he pray?
1: It's very hard to know because I, I'm not aware really of anywhere in Lewis's writings where he explicitly engages with that and I suspect Lewis would be very worried about coming across as a little bit glib and superficial but I think that um, Lewis did have a story to tell uh, and the story is his wife dying of cancer then him dying of cancer and the the very strong sense that actually the Christian narrative, this Christian way of thinking of things, actually positioned this inevitability in a context which allowed him to experience this in hope. And that, I think, is probably something he tried to articulate. I'm sure he would find some good analogies or images to try and um, get this across to the person he talked to. Lewis is very good at identifying his audience and then using analogies or images adapted to their audience. So my guess is that if this was somebody who he was talking to who he knew, he'd be able to find the right way of framing this.
0: I suppose we've talked about hope and we've talked about heaven. If we sort of look on the other side of it, as it were, momentarily, C.S. Lewis wrote quite a lot about hell as well. What, what were some of his thoughts about hell and judgment?
1: Lewis is a little bit ambivalent about this. I mean, he is very, very clear the idea of judgment is important. We need to recognize we are accountable. And we need to realize that the, the idea of justice and condemnation don't simply apply to this life. But Lewis, I think, is cautious about um, reading too much into this. Indeed, some of us critics would say he's too cautious, you know, that, that in effect he really needed need to, to be much more open about this. But Lewis, I think, Lewis is reluctant to write about things where he doesn't feel he has expertise. And it may just be that he feels that this is something which lies beyond his theological competence. And therefore, he doesn't want to go into this in great detail. His um, forebear, uh, G.K. Cheston, was perhaps more open about these sort of things. Um, uh, Cheston's framework was, we must very much hope that everyone is saved, but uh, act on the assumption they are not. Hmm. And actually, I think that that assumption underlies Lewis as well, that it'd be great if God saved everyone, but on the assumption they not, let's get on with this business.
0: And he talks quite a lot about choice, doesn't he? There's that line in The Great Divorce where he says uh, that it's not that God sends us to hell, it's that we have chosen it by our own rebellion. W- what would he say about that? And I, I suppose, would he therefore, if he wasn't focusing on hell, would he... Would he be focusing more on how to help people make sure that they're not going to whatever hell looks like?
1: I think Lewis is very clear that we have to be, we have to take responsibility for our decisions and actions. And Lewis at several points, including in *Mere Christianity*, says, look, uh, there's no way I can um, put this in any other way. You've got to make a choice here and you've got to make the right choice. And it's your choice. So will you please make it? Um, And uh, basically just just says, I don't think I can reinterpret this in any way I like. This is really the choice you have to make.
0: And do you think he would say that as much to non-Christians as to Christians?
1: As I read Lewis's more apologetic writings, I see this aspect of Christianity played down a bit. For example, if we look at mere Christianity, um, there's a chapter on hope. And that, that's very buoyant and upbeat, but I don't really see the downside of that being, being brought out with the same intensity in mere Christianity.
0: Because so I suppose there's some senses, some people would say that actually you don't really see how true and hopeful salvation is unless you see actually what you're being saved from. The kind of the darkness of hell makes the, the brightness of heaven even brighter. So he probably wouldn't go down that route, would he?
1: I, I'm not sure if he does that. I mean, he's read Dante, so obviously he knows about this journey through hell, through poetry into paradise, and he can see that as a very helpful framework as you, as you understand what this journey is all about. Um, but he it, it, it doesn't seem to make as much of it as, as, as you and I might expect him to.
0: And so let's go back to hope and heaven hmm. for a minute. How, how would C.S. Lewis see that as changing the way that we live our lives? If, if hope and heaven are a real thing, what does that mean about the way that we live our lives here on Earth?
1: That's a really good question. And Lewis actually talks about this in quite some detail in, in that chapter, Hope in um Christianity. He says that actually it energizes us here on earth. You might think it would say, oh, look, we're going to heaven. We don't need to do a thing here. He's saying, no, no, no. The people who did the most here on earth are precisely those who care most about heaven because it gives them a vision and it gives them a motivation. So Lewis is very, very clear. This is not about abandoning this world. It's not about disengaging with this world. It's about Resting assured where you're going, it means you can concentrate on changing the world in which you find yourself. So Lewis is very, very clear. This motivates social action and engagement, even though that might seem paradoxical to some of his readers. But clearly, of course, there's also this idea of journeying and hope, going further up and further in, to use that Mm. wonderful line from um, of Narnia, And I think that, that it, it's a sense of being overwhelmed by a vision of heaven. And you get that actually towards the end of the last battle. You know, even Jewel the Unicorn, you know, says, this is where I've always been meant to be, you know, it's this strong sense, you know, I can now see this is where I'm meant to be, and Lewis is saying that that's a moment of illumination which he had earlier, but you know it begins to, as he gets older it, it solidifies, becomes more and more important to him so Lewis would say that this is not an abstract theological idea which you simply you know, accept in your mind and makes no difference to you, it animates you, it gives you a motivation to make this world a better place and also to be able to cope with suffering and of course find with death.
0: Well he talks doesn't he about this life just being but the title and Mm. the cover page which is a really beautiful picture of of what it's getting you know there's so much more Mm. ahead of us in the future Um, do you think there's a sense in which then he sees us as here on earth trying to bring a little glimpse of heaven onto Earth with social action, with the way that we live here on Earth.
1: That's really interesting. Let me tell you what I th- uh, the way I read Lewis. And again, there may be professional Lewis scholars reading who might take a different view. My view is that Lewis is, is seeing this as twofold. That in effect, if you like, the vision of heaven animates you here on Earth. In effect it's a, a glimpse of this better place that keeps you going in this world. But you nevertheless see... This world is a kind of place of preparation, to use the, the, the Puritan analogy, it's like a gymnasium, a place where you kind of way use this to, make, to get ready for heaven, you know, and that's very important as well. So it's about, if you like, um, each informing the other, this, this dialectical relationship between the two.
0: So we've talked about the Christian view of hope and, and Lewis's perception of that. Does he think there are any false hopes
1: I think Lewis is very clear that very often we do invent um, false hopes, i.e. things that we have dreamt up which bear no relation to reality to kind of way cope with life. And because we've invented these and depend upon them, we are not prepared to admit that these are simply false hopes. And Lewis does talk this about this in a number of places. But for me, the most interesting example is a lecture he gave at Oxford, or a sermon, in fact, called On Learning in Wartime. And World War II has just broken out. And Lewis is the university preacher. And he's talking about, in effect are false hopes being dashed. And maybe one thing we can learn from this is how foolish we have been to invest in myths like the goodness of human nature. We need to, in fact, abandon false hopes and ask, where is there a true hope that may be found and embraced? So for Lewis, um, there's this real concern that people simply invent something invent systems of meaning, invent systems of hope which are complete delusions and falsehoods and fail to realise what Christianity is saying about the true grounds of hope.
0: So where do you think he would point us to to find that true hope and to, uh, and to check whether we have got false hopes? What's the frame of reference for that?
1: I think the frame of reference would be um, whether this false hope simply serves to retrospectively validate us (laughs) as individuals or whether in effect it's about realizing there's a bigger picture of reality which includes God and kind of way an integral part of the Christian understanding of this is that God is an integral part of a proper understanding of hope.
0: So if God's not in the picture then it's not true hope.
1: It's not real hope it's just me saying I wish it was like this but um, what Lewis is really saying is here is a God-given vision of what hope was about. It's God-given, and it leads to God. Given by God leads back to him.
0: Do you think there are any specific things in today's culture that Lewis would hail as a false hope?
1: I think Lewis would want to raise questions about um the rise of worldviews, which are very often political in nature, which say we can utterly change the world and human nature and make this world a better place. And Lewis would say, look, I've seen these in the 1930s. You're seeing them again, but you, you haven't made the connection that, in effect, when we have false hopes, the only way of securing them is, in effect, through force of arms. It's in effect, they have to be imposed. And then when they go wrong, as they do, where do you go after that? I think Lewis is, is just very cynical about these false optimisms. There have been so many false dawns. And that really uh, a true hope is not about an uh, you know, eternal life and sense of living forever, but rather in terms of understanding who we truly are as human beings, where we're truly meant to be, and that is what keeps us going, and that is really what true hope is. It's not about, in effect, indefinite extension of life, which is kind of transhumanist vision. Maybe Lewis would fix on that and say, okay, so the hope is we live for 500 years. Do we really want that? It's a very interesting question.
0: If he had to whittle hope down to one small sentence, what do you think C.S. Lewis would say?
1: I think hope would be finally being with God. Finally being a flower bursting through the soil in God's garden in his presence and soaking up the radiance of God's glory.
0: What a brilliant way to end our final podcast. Alistair, thanks so much for joining us today. Before we go, would you summarise some of the things that uh, we've sort of talked about today? I guess, what would, if you could, if you could speak to someone who's never really engaged with C.S. Lewis, I'm not sure how they ended up listening to this podcast, but they're they're not really sure where to start with C.S. Lewis. What would be a good place to, I guess, sort of dip your toe in the water? Well, that's that's
1: a great um, question. I think a lot will depend on what you're looking for. I think if you're looking for someone who's saying, you know, I've heard about this guy, Lewis, and I heard about this thing called Christianity. I mean, can I put these two together? Well, go to mere Christianity. It's very engaging. I think you'll find yourself drawn into its analysis that uses imagination very, very well. You might say, no, no, I heard this guy, Lewis, tells really good stories. And why I suggest is you try the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. I think you'll find you're drawn into it very very quickly just just go with it enter into it step into the narrative see where it takes you i think you'll find it really interesting and really exciting
0: and i suppose taking a step back from that why should we read c.s. lewis
1: well i think lewis himself said you know in the end the reason why you keep reading certain writers is because of enjoyment enjoyment. In other words, they're rewarding to read. I find Lewis rewarding to read. I read him the first time, see some things, great. Read him another time, oh, I missed that the first time round. You know, in other words, you keep discovering more. And also, Lewis, in effect, is engaging with a network of literature. And very often as you read Lewis, you say, oh, he got off Milton, I must read Milton. You know, that sort of thing. Lewis is a portal, a gateway to a very rich tradition of reflection.
0: And what do you think are some of the things that we would learn if we were to read? Well, maybe not his whole works, but what are some of the key things that come up? Well, in lots I, of his I read works? Lewis
1: lots of reasons. I mean, one of the reasons I read him is because I'd like to write better myself, you know. And so, actually, reading Lewis actually might well help me do that. He, he just writes so well. But I think you might read Lewis because um, he's one of these guys who very often is saying, "Look, you see it like this; it's a problem. Try seeing it like this." And it looks very different. And that's one of the reasons why I think people ought to read Lewis, because he's so good at asking you to reimagine the world. It looks like this to you. OK, now try seeing it like this. Do You see it's different. So might not that way of seeing it actually be right and worth embracing?
0: This may be like asking who, who is your favourite child. But have you got a favourite Bit of literature from C.S. Lewis. Is there a favourite story, favourite book, favourite account within any of his writings?
1: I think it, it does depend on the way I'm feeling. But there are three works I keep coming back to, all dating from um, 1940s early 1950s. One of them is Surprised by Joy, which is his own account of his discovery of Christianity, really engaging and interesting. Next is Mere Christianity, his own presentation of Christian faith, Originated as radio talks, very accessible, very engaging. And then a sermon, The Weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, of Glory. 5,500 words long. It is a jewel. It's a beautiful argument. The prose is astonishingly good. And I read that for enjoyment as well as for education.
0: If there's someone listening who doesn't love reading I guess we've talked a lot about reading and C.S. Lewis was a big reader he was an avid lover of literature are there other ways to get into C.S. Lewis that don't necessarily involve delving into a complicated book?
1: Well you could watch the movies if you want to watch the movies watch The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe which was the easiest one to film because the, 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 the story itself unfolds very very simply in terms of its chronology and then once you've enjoyed the movie read the book and you'll find that actually you'll get more out of the book because you know the basic thing and you can begin to see the detail that Lewis adds that turn it from a good story into a brilliant reflection on the meaning of life.
0: Alistair you've written extensively about C.S. Lewis uh, and you've done lots of talks and and interviews and things like that around C.S. Lewis how do we find out more about what you've written about C.S. Lewis?
1: Well you could go to my website Alistair McGrath, all one word, dot net. Alistair McGrath dot net. And that gives you access to articles, to videos and things like that. And you might find those interesting and just taking your interest in C.S. Lewis further.
0: Alistair, thank you so much. A pleasure. Thank you for listening to the ninth episode of the C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. I'm Ruth Jackson, and if you enjoyed this podcast, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. If you would like to get your hands on a free copy of one of Alistair's books about C.S. Lewis, then we would love you to post about this new C.S. Lewis podcast on social media. Use the hashtag C.S. Lewis podcast on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and include a link to our website cslewispodcast.com Next week, for our final episode of the series, we will be broadcasting a special edition of the C.S. Lewis Podcast